Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of No One Is Listening. Uh, I'm one of your co-host, Steve, and with me, as always, is Jen. Jen, do you want to say hi? Hello. All right, guys. Uh, this week, we'll be doing another one of our panted career uh, deep dives. Um, and Jen, do you want to tell everyone who we're going to be doing a deep dive on today? Whose career? Yeah, so Steve, I think we've done a couple of these so far, but we have not done someone who is not an actor. Am I correct? Yeah, I think everyone um, everyone we, we've done uh, has been like a performer. Um, like even one of our questions is like our personal favorite performance, but there's no performance here. It's more project. Although this person that we um, picked has also dabbled in some acting that, that is true that is continues true continues to cast himself so yes um we have picked a director i'm i you know you were like oh this time i think i kind of want to do a deep dive on like someone who's not an actor and i like mildly panicked because um, <laughs> you you were like maybe we should do a director and i was just like you know i know we did like very early on in our um podcasting career we did like auteurs and stuff that. Yeah. Um, and we haven't really touched that since. Um, and so I only, honestly, like the first person I thought of was not the person that I like texted you, but I just felt like, I just don't know how much people can handle me talking about freaking Parasite and Bong Joon-ho, like in every podcast. <laughs> oh, was that, was that who you were going to say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I spared you from you having to gently be like, no. Um, so we picked Quentin Tarantino, who yeah. had a really good year last year. And um, yeah, we can we can kind of talk about all of that um, when we get into it. But, um, you know, highly, highly productive um, movie director slash uh, screenwriter mm-hmm. slash actor. Um, also, you know, I think he him. In himself, in himself is a celebrity. Um, not every director can call themselves that, but I definitely think like he is of that echelon. Um, and he is not without controversy and is not without complicated um, feelings for a lot of people. So I think this will be a really good chat. Yeah, I think so too. I actually did not realize how many controversies there were until I like had to look it up. Because I, I think it's because like. Um, Quentin also, like, because he looks the same, I forget how long his career has been. It essentially spans, like, our lifetime. Yeah. Like, for you and me. You know? yeah. and, and I just, like, did not realize that. Like, I, I understand that, like, conceptually, but when I looked back, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, I just had, like, totally forgotten that, you know? Right. Um, so let's just do, like, a really quick timeline for him, yeah? Yeah. Um, hold on. Let me... I don't have his writing credentials. Oh, yeah, I do. The region. Okay. So uh, it's important to note, like, his – in terms of his, like, timeline, I – we'll see if – hopefully everyone knows this. But if not, just a quick recap is, like, he used to work at, like, a Blockbuster, right? Or maybe it wasn't a Blockbuster, but it was, like, a video rental store. Definitely uh, a video rental store of some kind, whether it was an indie one or a blockbuster, but it is very much a part of like his yeah, like yeah. narrative and who yeah. he is and yeah. what his influences have been. Yeah, and like there are like rumor, not I don't want to say rumor, more like legends. Like the mythology of Quentin is that he used to like, um, like instead of doing the movies in alphabetical order, you know, he would do it by like genre and by category. And, you know, the way it like categorized in his mind, that's how he would set up the the movie store. And he was known for telling people like, oh, you should, what are you into? You know, what's like your taste? Be like, oh, you should watch, you should watch this. And he was one of the, um, he was like a real life version of, there's like a Simpsons character who is, he's like this fat, overweight guy but he's like so condescending and is like such a know-it-all mm. and that's kind of how Quentin kind of like exudes himself like that's kind of the personality that exudes from him which is that like I know so much and I know so much more than you yeah you know yeah. um like there's nothing casual he's he's incredibly extra as like a cinemaphile you yeah. know yeah and that's part of like the mystique of Quentin Tarantino. So he starts off as a writer, right? Yeah. And I think the first 
uh, thing that comes to his first big thing is it's two two uh, screenplays that he writes, right? Which is a True Romance and Reservoir Dogs, and um, he wants to direct Reservoir Dogs. He's willing to let someone else direct True Romance, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the just by chance, the director is Tony Scott, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenal director. And so True Romance puts him on the map, gives him enough like street cred to, you know, do Reservoir Dogs, yeah. right? And then that, and it's kind of like astounding how high the quality of like, I'll save this for like, what are, what's his peak, but it, like he just rips through, right? It goes uh, true romance that he writes, and then now he's directing, right? So it's Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, uh, Kill Bill One, Kill Bill Two, uh, Grindhouse, mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and then just this past, uh, just this last year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That's like insane. That's actually insane. Yeah. Um, and so. Let's go right into it. Like, what do you think? Was his peak the beginning, the middle, or, like, present-day career of Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. So I would argue that his peak was sort of in this um, mid-'90s era. Um, And that's not to say that, like, he hasn't reinvented himself or has had this, like... Um, you know, like some people hit their peaks and then they like sort of whimper away and the, all of the movies that you listed, like they are all sort of in the, a lot of the movies that you've listed are in this like starting like 2000s on. And so like you can't say that he hasn't been successful, right? Um, actually, I think his most successful movie has been Django Unchained. Um, and that was in 2012. The reason why I kind of put his peak in the mid-90s with the release of like Pulp Fiction um, is because like it just became like, like I think Reservoir Dogs like made him be this like cool indie director that put him on the map but like Pulp Fiction really like was that combination of um something that was a little bit outside of the fringe but it was like a runaway success like it was in the theater for eight months it made more than a hundred million dollars which you know what in the 90s like 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 counting That's inflation. Like 30 like trillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it landed him his first Oscar. And, you know, like, I, I mean, for somebody with like this prestige, like, I don't think he has as m- many Oscars as like you would think, but like That's he's true. always in the conversation every time like he makes a movie. And, um, you know, it was like sort of the start of that, of that for him. Um, and, you know, like the, the mid, to late 90s where he made Reservoir Dogs, he made Pulp Fiction, he made Jackie Brown, not to mention writing True Romance and Natural Born Killers and From Dusk Till Dawn. Like, I think he, like, really cemented himself as, like, this cool director that you wanted to attach yourself to. Um, And it was really, like, the peak of his, like, celebrity-ness where, like, when video stores, like, actually existed or still existed um they would have like tarantino sections so it wasn't even just like tarantino films but like tarantino-esque films and it he, he just he kind of became this like adjective and he kind of became this like larger than life figure and he like totally like embraced i think a lot of directors even if they're sort of celebrity figures like they sort of tend to shy away from doing celebrity like things because um, you know, they want to keep the focus on his on their art. And I'm not knocking him for this. Like, I don't not think that he cares about his art and crafting his art, but like he also embraced that entire other side of of fame. And so like that's sort of where I think his peak has become. Um, I'm curious to know what you think. You know, at <clears throat> the first time I thought about this, um, I was like, it it's well my like not controversial my hot take is that he doesn't necessarily have like a peak because if you look at his career there are very few peaks and valleys it's like super consistent yeah you know um but 
Okay, you know, I'm that, glad there's some bucks. I'm like, Steve, you have yeah. to answer this if yeah, you made but, me answer. Yeah, but you have to you have to choose, right? And and there are enough valleys. You can where, make for all of the, the peaks um, if you want to. Um, at at first glance, it's easily his like first three movies, right? Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jagger Brown. If you want to include True Romance, you can include that in there. But like, the more I think about it, the more I think that was like the peak for his movies like those mm-hmm. are his best movies but in terms of him like mm-hmm. his peak when he has the most like control the most power the most say yeah. um i actually think it's right now and okay. the reason being that uh, i think pulp fiction is his best movie and i think it's like not even really that close um like I feel like you and I talk, or I feel like I say this to you every time we talk about the Oscars. I, I always mention to you how in 94, I cannot believe Forrest Gump beat Pulp Fiction oh. and how Robert Zemeckis and beat I think for that directing. is a very popular opinion. Like, is I mean, it? I think, yeah, I think there's a okay. lot of films that have won Best Picture where you kind of look back and think, why the F did that happen? Like, do you remember the film the artist i was literally just gonna mention that one to you yeah yeah and like it's but the artist was more like i i can believe forrest gump one like if pulp fiction wasn't there i wouldn't be upset you know what i mean no and you're totally right except that year that forrest gump won it was like such a stacked year of um yeah like there's so many movies that like people and i'm not i'm really not knocking because I actually really love that movie, and whenever it's on TV, like I will watch it. Yeah, um, this isn't a knock on Forrest Gump per se. Exactly, it's not like that's the difference between Forrest Gump and like the artist. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that people have sort of come around to this. Like, if we're gonna talk about something that like kind of um, can stand this test of time without people really questioning, like, really was that the best choice? Like, I think yeah. Pulp Fiction definitely has that going for it. Like versus Forrest Gump. Yeah. Agreed. Tom Hanks won an Oscar for Forrest Gump. Who? Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, yeah. He won. He won for Forrest Gump. Yeah. Okay. So that was like the um, year after he won for Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like Pulp Fiction is like his best movie by far. It's one of the best movies like ever. Yeah. But um, when even when you take a look at, so obviously you know adjusted for inflation, you can. Pulp Fiction probably still made like more money than um, what is it? Uh, Django, which made like four hundred twenty-five million dollars. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you take a look at like the last few movies, right? Which is like Inglorious Bastards, Django, uh, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. For me, it's also like who he's working with, right? Yeah. And he goes from like the you know. Every, there's some directors that have like a crew like a pool of actors that they go back to right and with um you know quentin tarantino you know he loved working with certain actors you know and they were kind of like indie actors kind of like new york style actors you have like tim roth and samuel jackson and uh uma thurman and so on and so forth but it's really in this later stage of his careers the past few movies where it's like you have these a-list actors who also have a reputation of only working with a specific tier of directors mm-hmm. and i feel like we live in an age now where like there we have movie stars yes but like just have just casting someone isn't enough to be like okay that's going to be a 200 million dollar movie but quentin tarantino even like the hateful eight which like i didn't like love yeah um, it still made like 155 million dollars just because it was like a tarantino film and so yeah. i don't know if i'm like I don't know if I'm articulating this correctly, but I feel like in terms of his movies, the peak was like the beginning of his career. But like in terms of like how much, I don't know what the right word is, but how like how much like influence he has, especially over like the culture. I feel like it's now. Yeah, no, that's so interesting because I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I also think like, like the mid, or like the late nineties, early two thousands when like with the pulp fiction era, what pulp fiction ushered in for him, I think really started everything that you were saying. And yeah. even back then he, he had the influence. Um, 
to get movies made and he he sort of I don't like he's such a weird mythical figure for me just because like I feel like out of the gate and again that's probably not true if you're looking at his like I am demon but like almost out of the gate like he's been able to become this figure that it doesn't matter who's in his movies the film when it says directed by Quentin Tarantino like people will go and watch it Mm -hmm. um and it's it almost happened like it happened so early on in his career and it's been nothing but like success for him since. So, um, I, I mean, yes, I think it's gotten stronger and the fervor has sort of reached like this crescendo, um, now, especially, um, you know, I think with once upon a time in Hollywood, it is one of his like most, um, if not, it's not the movie that's made the most money, but it is, I think like the second most um highest grossing movie of his so after Django and Chain but it like in terms of like accolades it's gotten like it's gotten the it's gotten more than everything yeah. else so like we're at we're at this like yes we're at this like peak Tarantino um phase which you know what Steve I also think what's helpful is this this narrative a myth that he's built that he's only doing 10 films and once upon a time in Hollywood happens to be the ninth one. So like every time a film of his comes out, like people clamor more and more for it because they know like the career and this thing that he's built is coming to an end at some point. Um, which I sort of like, don't really believe, but whatever. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I agree with you. I I just think like for me, like it it, it started back in the nineties, and like he really solidified himself as a cultural figure and a cultural like tastemaker, and so like that's sort of why I've picked. Um, I stand by my pick as like the peak being like sort of earlier on in his career. Yeah, no, I mean, I again, like you said, there's no right like, or wrong answer. Yeah, there's no right, and and I yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. You know, it's like really interesting. Like we talk about the, the mythology of Quentin Tarantino, even like it's there's even like an origin story like that we yeah. talk about before you, yeah. and it's like that's part of the thing, which is that like for me, like nowadays, like anytime he releases a movie, it's an event just because it's a Tarantino film. 100%, you know, hundred. Um, yep. I actually, if you wouldn't mind, um, like entertaining me with this, uh. Let's go a little out of order because yeah. what you said like really um, like made me think about something. Let's skip over to the to the last question we normally do, which is does their personality slash off screen life help or hurt how we view them? Because I think it is impossible to talk about Quentin Tarantino without talking about like the stuff that he brings yeah. to the table. You know, yeah. I, I I feel like with most people, it's like almost a totally separate view i think with quentin tarantino you can't you can't think about him without thinking about the stuff outside the movies or the mm-hmm. stuff like about the movies with other people you can kind of separate it. you can be like oh you know i like his performance or i like his work but you know i don't care for his you know personal life or or the stuff that's not part of i feel like you can't do that with quentin tarantino i feel like it's all one and the same because he he almost is like a character unto himself yeah so why don't, if you don't mind, let, why don't we skip to that and then we'll circle back sure. to, um, like, favorite uh, favorite work and stuff. So um, on his, like, Wikipedia, which I know isn't, like, the end-all, be-all, but there's, like, I I was shocked to see how many controversies there were. <laughs> it's like, a pretty big section, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, the, the ones that, the only ones that I really knew about was obviously like the violence stuff, which mm-hmm. is that like Quentin Tarantino movies are all pretty violent. Um, and it's like a certain type of like stylized violence. I feel like I, I'd never heard that phrase. I'm sure it that existed before Quentin Tarantino and has been said about other people or other like genres or other like uh, mediums. But I feel like stylized violence, like that phrase is most associated with Quentin Tarantino because there is something about the violence in his movies that I'm not saying it's like cool or like whatever. I mean, I, I, I do think it is cool, but that's not what I mean. It's like there there is a certain like style to it. You know, yeah. there, there's a certain like look and feel to it. Yes. 
um, like my favorite example of this is Kill Bill, the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there are so many scenes that are so violent, but you can't tear your eyes away because it's like watching a choreographed dance. Like the fight mm-hmm. sequences scream choreo, and and just everything from like visual, like you know that like the sea of red, like like after the, the there's literally a bloodbath, mm-hmm. um, and it's just I feel like he sort of it's you know I have a really hard time with violence in movies um but because sometimes it's so like fantastical sometimes that like it yes you're like it's not real and that's like that's how I'm able to enjoy Pulp Fiction that's how I'm able to enjoy like a lot of the movies that like all of basically all the movies that he's made just because like it's it feels this like it's not a real scene. It sort of takes you out of the moment because, like, who, like, what kind, what fights happen like that? Like, yeah. what kind of murders happen like that? Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's like, there's, it take, it keeps you in the moment by taking you out of the moment, but not in a way that's, like, funny. Oh, I mean, it is funny, but you're laughing <laughs> with him. You're not laughing yeah. at the fact that like oh my god that's so fake you know he's kind of like so look at how fake that is, this that... is but i've still captured your imagination yes yeah i mean when a person is literally sawed in half like it's funny because it's not real yeah yeah exactly um, like well i think is a great example because there are parts where like limbs are being cut off and it's like mm-hmm. oh look it's a clean it's exactly a clean break you know yeah. what i mean um yeah. and it he i don't know how he does it he does it in a way where, like, it's almost like, wow, is did they, like, run out of the budget here? But it it, it makes it even cooler than if it was, like, like really real. Like, too yeah. realistic, you know? Yeah. He doesn't make it too it's realistic. Hyper, yeah, hyper-violent. Yes, it, it's hyper-realistic, not, like, too realistic, you know? And he stylizes it in a way. And that's why I feel like with the phrase, like, stylized violence, like, I think of him specifically and so there's all this controversy about like the violence in his movies and whether it's like too influential um there's also like the controversies about like racial slurs so like off the bat right especially with like jackie brown and with um django unchained it's like there's a ridiculous amount of use of like uh the Mm -hmm. n-word like an insane amount and like listen neither one of us uh, are black. And so I don't really, I'll be honest, I don't really have a, uh, an opinion on this. I kind of like defer to people in like the black community on this. You have to, yes. Right. You know? And so I'm not going to pretend to like be super educated or informed about this, but I do find it interesting that like someone like Spike Lee is like totally opposed you know to like even watching some of tarantino's movies but then you know you have samuel L. jackson that is He's like a frequent collaborator frequent collaborator defends the use um as like not even like def- like defends it in like a devil's advocate kind of way but it's like this is why it's so necessary yeah you know? um and so there's that there's the obvious like uh harvey weinstein connection miramax did the first you know how many it's like four or five movies right you know once upon a time in hollywood i think was like literally the first movie that he shopped around outside of miramax um so he's worked with weinstein for a very very long time Mm -hmm. um you know and then you know if we get a chance to talk about once upon a time in hollywood later like I think that really just speaks to like the script and the movie itself because there was a bidding war for it. Um, but the Weinstein thing is really interesting because he used to date Mira Servino, who, um, you know, won an Oscar and she is one of those actresses that um, people really feel like became sidelined by Harvey Weinstein for not, you know, for not going along with him and stuff. And so um, for all of these successful movies that he's made that was backed by Weinstein and Miramax, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino has admitted that he knew about abuse. And, um, you know, Mira sort of, you know, I think, oh, like, I think uh, 
told him about her experience. And then um, Uma Thurman, who also worked with Weinstein, um, has, like, told him. And I think he went so far as to, like, complain or, you know, lodge some sort of, I don't know, or confront Weinstein. But I think that was sort of it. And I think a lot of people sort of took that to be like, you you didn't do enough. Um, Which I think is fair and unfair at the same time. I think it's hard to, and I'm not defending anybody. I obviously think everything that's happened is like so terrible, but I also, um, yeah. I mean, I also can see how he, thinking that he confronted Weinstein and getting an apology for the two women that he loves. So like his ex-girlfriend and, and Uma Thurman, who he considers his muse, like was enough, you know? Right. Uh, right. Do I think, do I think he's naive enough to think that like other people weren't other people outside of his orbit wasn't, weren't being treated that way? No. But I think sometimes, you know, you're just sort of, you sort of have, you sort of, deal with what's in front of you and you don't really think about everything else that's happening um yeah so like his success as a director is like then super complicated by the fact that like like he's the house that Miramax built you know yeah um so it is I mean yeah it's I mean I think it definitely is there's like a blemish among other things but like that's a huge blemish on his um on his whole career that I think we'll follow him around. Yeah, I, I definitely do think so. I, I, I think it's important to note that it, like it's impossible to litigate the past. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. especially that far back. You know where it's like it's not like it happened in a vacuum where like everything is the same as it is today. Like I do think there is. How do I say this? I think there's a reason. I I think it's fair to be like you know. If he only did what he did back then now, it's fair to be like, dude, that's so not enough. Yeah. You know? But me personally, I do have a bit of grace when it's like, okay, for back then, right? The standards are just different. Like, the world was just different. We didn't, we weren't, we were way more ignorant back then. And not, that's not even to say we're not ignorant now. We were just more ignorant back then, you know? Um, like, I, I, that's, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't disagree if someone was like, no, but still wasn't enough. I, I, I That's fair. I'm just saying, yeah. you, you know, there's a little bit of context that we do need to be, like, aware of. But I wouldn't disagree if someone was like, that wasn't enough. I, yeah. I'd be like, factually, yeah. yes, that wasn't enough, but I just have a bit of, like, it... Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, And then the the next two were the ones that I just had no idea about, right? So you one not is... about the Uma Thurman thing? No, I had no idea, right? Which is that, so, in on Kill Bill, she, like, is, she's doing her own stunts, and there's a serious car crash, and there is permanent damage to, like, her neck and her knees. And it took 15 years for her to secure the footage of, like, what happened. And I had no idea. Well... Yeah, I mean, because nobody really did, but it it came up like two years ago. Um, I remember it being like a big news story, um, and I don't know what their what do you think their relationship is like now? Oh my um, god, it must be so complicated. It, it must be so complicated because he literally calls her his muse, and I don't think that's changed. Um, and I also think that she, you know. Like, she sort of was saying how he finally atoned by giving the footage of the car crash to her after 15 years of, like, sort of denying and, like, saying that the crash that happened on the set that led to her permanent injuries was, like, not really his fault. Um, And... And she's been on the record saying that she doesn't believe that, like, he had, like, bad intentions. Right. Um, and so, again, I think she has placed the blame on, like, producers instead, including Weinstein, which is, like, hard to really, like, wrap my head around just because, like, who's in control of the set and whose film is this? And it seemed obvious that he pushed for her to be in that car, even though he knew that the car was not 
um, safe to drive. Um, so it seems to me that they're not like at odds with each other, but at yeah. the same time, I mean, having permanent injuries is like a big deal. Yeah, and especially like at her age. Yeah. She's not like a grandma. You yeah. Know? Um, but I also feel like, I mean, I feel like she feels that she owes him a ton just because, I mean, he put her on the map, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's very complicated. I, I, I think it's it must be super, super complicated. And I can't even... I wouldn't even want to try to figure that out. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I'm sure it's super complicated. Um, and the last one I didn't know about is, like, the Roman Polanski stuff, which I don't even want to talk about because it makes me so, like, uncomfortable. Um so people can Google it if they want. He just said some stuff about Roman Polanski and then had to walk it back because it was, like, super not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, so, and then the, um, there's one other thing where he snapped at a reporter at camp. Oh, yeah. That I remember. Um, when they were promoting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because the reporter was asking why Margot Robbie had, like, very little speaking lines in the movie and um instead of just answering her question or deflecting it like i think he just kind of lost it on her which um kind of drew a lot of backlash um from everybody when it happened but i i not that i defend that behavior or anything but i do think that one being on these press tours is probably very tiring and you get asked the same questions a lot and stuff um but two um there was a lot of controversy about what people perceived margot robbie's um role in once upon a time in hollywood to be before the movie came out right um and then once people watch the movie it's it's apparent that it just it like all of the stuff that people had talked about before just wasn't necessarily what it was when you like actually watched the movie. Um, um, and so I felt like a lot of that like criticism was a little bit uh, cart before the horse. Um, but yeah, so that was, there was that. And I, I think for a lot of people, it just ignited, ignited all of the stuff that we talked about, just like him being this like really complicated crappy figure um that's that's just like brings up a lot of like feelings uh, for people um even if he is a genius yeah and i think so we bring all this stuff up for me and i I, even the worst stuff i feel like helps him in a weird way yeah because it's like it adds to the character of quentin tarantino because it's if his, his movies it, it would be one thing if his movies were not controversial, but he was. Yeah. But he is like his, he and his movies are both like equally controversial, and a lot of his, a lot of the controversies, especially in the beginning, are directly related to his movies. And you know, as time goes on, it's less uh, associated. With it. But but because we're so used to him being a controversial figure, mm-hmm. it only like grows this like mythology of him like the character of quentin tarantino and like you always see him in these like pressers where like he has this like manic energy about him too it's not like he's soft-spoken it's not like he's calm he's like constantly like jittery you know yeah. what I mean? um yeah. and, and maybe jittery is not the right word but he's always like high energy and he's like it's hard to differentiate the tone or like the energy between him and the energy of his movies sometimes too Mm-hmm. You know, and so I feel like it only helps, even if it is like negative. Yeah, and I I feel like he gets a pass on things that other people. And uh, I should I don't want to say it like that. It's it, not like he gets a pass. I, I don't mean it like that. It's it's more like we we almost like expect there to be some controversy, not because he's trying to be, but because he's like really transparent i think that's what it is you know and i think that's why we i think we understand him in a way that we may not understand other people because he there really seems to be no bs about him 
you know, he's kind of like, listen, this is me. Take it or leave it. You know, yeah. if you don't like it, that's fine. But, yeah. you know, I'm right about this stuff. You know, I'm not saying you have to love me. I'm not even saying you have to like me. But, you know, this is the way I am. This is I'm not going to BS you. And yeah, I'm not going to be apologetic about it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm, I think he'll apologize for, for something. I mean, he yeah. apologized for a lot of things. Um, you know, but, you know, I'm, honestly, at the end of the day, though, like if he if he was producing shitty movies and if he was making if he wasn't good at what he does we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? So it yeah. sort of does back to the art um, and what he's able to do and like who he's carved, like what position he's carved himself in, like in Hollywood. So um, yeah, I mean, I think grace is a little bit easier to give out to people who were, were getting stuff in return, right? Um, okay, so let's go. Let's backtrack back to our favorite, um, our favorite pieces of work, right? And so this is normally when we'd say, "What's your favorite performance?" But with Quentin Tarantino, I mean, unless you want to talk about his cameos in his movies, uh, what is your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? So it used to be Kill Bill. Really? Yeah, I love Kill Bill. Um, not so much the second one, uh, just because I don't remember a ton about the second one but the first movie is when I I just felt like because I don't even think I had watched Pulp Fiction at that point like I think I watched Kill Bill and then I wanted to I wanted to explore him as a director um and you know Kill Bill is wildly violent and it is something that like I do not gravitate towards and I do not like watching on screen because I just have like a squeamish thing about blood and like violence and people getting chopped up and all of those things. But because he was so deftly able to make it outlandish, like it made it feel a little bit better in a way. And, you know, I love a good vengeance flick, you know, <laughs> the whole movie is about... Um, Uma Thurman's character like getting vengeance on people um, and I just I don't know I, I think that was just my favorite um, he also has this knack for I think he has a knack for um, creating stars right um, so not only like new stars but creating stars out of old stars or people yes. you've forgotten and like even like John Travolta like before Pulp Fiction he was sort of on his way out of of people's mindsets and like that totally changed because of that movie. And there's so many people who, um, who can sort of attest to attest to being picked by Quentin Tarantino to be in his movies. And I think that's a really nice and generous thing that he does. And he's often said that he writes certain parts for like specific people, hoping that they'll accept the role. Um, and he, I, I just feel like, he's an actor's director. Um, I mean, I think he definitely has a vision of how he wants things done. And I can't imagine set life being super collaborative just because like, I feel like he has those visions, but like, I don't know. I just really appreciate that he's able to just take people and um, put them in these roles that like really just speak to their, or just make them shine. And Uma Thurman, I feel like, yeah, she should be his muse because, and it's clear, it's clear because the way he shoots her, the way that he's crafted these roles around her, um, it's clear that like he's obsessed or he, you know, he obviously like thinks of her in high regard. And um, I don't know. I like that about him, but you know, um, not it, to be like recency bias or anything, but like my, oh. I think my favorite movie now is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And wow. it's because, because like there are certain things like Inglorious Bastards and I didn't even watch Django Unchained. I don't think I ever want to, but. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I just don't want to sit through a lot of that. It's just like hard to watch like subjects, hard to watch stuff. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of quite literally the opposite of that because he takes what happened in real life and turns it into something completely, completely different. And the violence at the end of the movie, not to be spoilery about it, but guys, it's been out for a while, so I don't, I'm not going to apologize, um, is used, is it, I had no idea what I was getting into when I watched it, but 
the way he flips the script and totally rewrites history when he set the whole thing in real life and with real characters, like real life people, um, like just the playing with with the real and the like almost fantastical stuff. I, I don't know. I just really loved it. And I think the performances in the movie are so awesome. And it's really fun to just watch. I think it's a super rewatchable movie. And it's fun to see people. And I, I'm sure I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this when you talked about having watched it on the plane not too long ago, but just, you know, sightings of people that are that make cameos in the film. Like, I just think it's a it's, it's just a really, really fun movie that's infinitely like rewatchable, even though it's like three hours long. Yeah, um, I I do love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What um, is our favorite? My favorite is Inglorious Bastards. Okay, yeah, I um, I, I do love Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> uh, I I I do think again, Pulp Fiction is his best movie. I think uh, it it caught me at like a really weird time though, because it's like I, I I haven't watched it in a while. And Were you, when like young when you watched it, I was super. I was way you too young. You shouldn't have been watching it, basically. Yeah, I yeah. I shouldn't have been watching it, but I I do remember, like, yeah, I, I watched it at like a, a really weird time. But the first time I watched *Inglorious Bastards* was when I was, I think I was in high school, and I was really getting into like movies as like art. Yeah. You know, um, and so it hit me at like a really. It's like, I feel this way about like the way I do about movies, the way I do about music. When you, whatever you watch or listen to in like your high school years is like the coolest thing you've ever watched or like listened to mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so uh i watched the quentin tarantino film that i watched when i was in high school was like one of the coolest things that yeah. i had ever seen you know and so um and and you know inglorious bastards i think is one of his like three four best movies mm-hmm. you know? like i think i definitely think it's in his top three um I think the revelation of like Christoph Waltz, who like ended up becoming kind of like a one trick pony, but at the time you didn't know it because it was his first time. Yeah. You're just like, whoa, this guy is like a revelation, you know? Um, I remember coming out of that movie thinking Christoph Waltz had like a performance for the ages, but like as time goes on, I'm kind of like, Brad Pitt is so good in it. I, I remember, and I remember at the time, like not really liking his performance, thinking yeah. it was kind of, kind of, kind of cheesy, kind of corny, kind of like overdoing it. But when I rewatch it, I'm just kind of like, man, this, like, it's a, it's a guy who doesn't need to take risks, just like going for it. Yeah. You know? And so I love, I love that. I love. Um, oh my god, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Uh, his name. Who's the um, who's the actor that plays Magneto? Oh, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. Like, it's like shocking that. Did you know he's only in it for like a few minutes? Yeah. I I like did not realize that until the last time I watched it. And so like Inglorious Bastards to me, that's my favorite Tarantino film. I could just like watch that like over and over again. And it doesn't matter what point of the movie it's in. I can always just like dive right in yeah i remember at first um like when it said like chapter i was just like or when it does like the acts or the chapters i forget what um it like took me out of it the first time like there was a lot of things that like i was like oh this is super cool but oh you know that that's kind of weird and as time goes on i it only makes me like the movie more Mm -hmm. and so inglorious bastards is my favorite tarantino film yeah, I mean, it's such a good film. And, you know, to go back to, like, Christoph Waltz, like, I think that's sort of what I mean by he takes these people that you don't either know or you sort of knew and gives them almost, like, new life um, with the casting that he does. So, um, yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, part of that, the next part of that question is are they on the Mount Rushmore of anything I have I have you do okay I I have I have I have two what's what's yours okay I don't have two um but I think that 
Quentin Tarantino definitely deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of celebrity directors. Oh, that is a really good one. And you know exactly what I mean by that, right? I do. I you do. Know, there are directors who are great, but they're not celebrities and they can't sell movies just by the title card of directed by blah, blah, blah alone. Um, or you couldn't identify them in the street. Or you couldn't identify them in the street. Or when they have a movie coming out, they're not the one doing press. Their actors are. Yes. Yes. That other breed of director who he is the movie. Um, mostly probably, I mean, a good chance because he both wrote it and directed it. And sometimes has a cameo in it as well. Um, but he, you know, I think un- and unlike other directors and unlike other celebrity directors too, like I think he fully embraces that part of oh, 100%. who he's become. You know, he's like when you watch interviews with him on like Letterman or Colbert, like he's funny and he totally is like hamming it up. He does what people want him to do. Um, and he's just, he knows he's cool. He knows people want to talk to him. He knows he can sell the movie, and um, I don't know. I, I just think I, I think that you know, in the mid '90s or whenever Pulp Fiction was sort of released, and like his ascent from that point on. Um, at some point, I think it was after Jackie Brown, he does take like a five or so year hiatus. Um, yeah. Again, writing things is hard and directing things takes a long time. So it's not for a lot. I don't know that it's for a lack of like he was just sitting around doing nothing. But, um, you know, in that sort of in between between Jackie Brown and like Kill Bill um, there by the time he returns, like other cool directors have come around. Right. So then that like 2000s era like has ushered in Christopher Nolan, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes mm-hmm. Anderson, Sofia Coppola. And they're all, I think, sort of celebrity directors in their own right. Do I know what Christopher Nolan looks like? Mm, I guess, but not really. Um, I certainly actually have no idea what Paul Thomas Anderson looks like. I was literally just going to say Paul Thomas Anderson. I have no idea what he looks like. I, I know what Christopher Nolan looks like because his movies – in a different way, are kind of event-ish as well. Like, he does yeah, some press, yeah. too. Um, but it wasn't really until, like, the Batman movies that he... Yeah. And specifically, like, The Dark Knight, where it was like, oh, this guy's, like, a dude, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's like, Anderson, David Fincher. Yeah. David yeah. Fincher, yes. Like, no there idea are, what there, Yeah, there are directors who, I, who are better than him, I think, right? Yeah. Who make better movies, but I have no idea what they look like. Because they are not celebrities. Yeah. You know? So I, I, I actually love that. I think that's that's really good. I should have gone first because mine is nowhere near as good as yours. <laughs> um, um, I'm sure it's fine and I'm sure I can talk about it. But what is it? No, I don't know if you will. Um, Ready? He's on the Mount Rushmore of like comic book fans. I think yeah. he's probably... <laughs> Steve, can you help me? <laughs> yeah. No, I think they're like in the same way. Like he... <sighs> He's, like, probably the most A-list celebrity who's, like, super into comic books. You know, I'm trying to... How come then he's never felt the need or want, you think, to, like, direct a big tentpole comic book? I mean, I think he's tried, but... Like, what? um, Like, if you look at, like, his, like, Wikipedia or whatever, um, he tried to make, like, certain... Uh, Marvel movies, but this was before Marvel was like Marvel. Uh, and then once Marvel became like Marvel Studios, then it was like, there's no way that relationship is going to go well. Yeah. You know what I mean? He makes yeah. rated R films. He likes to push the envelope. He's not really about like the cinematic universe. You know what I mean? The bleed out. Yeah. You know, and even like Kill Bill, it like, it's the only movies that where like he has like a sequel. You know, most of his movies are like standalone. That's because he had like a vision for Kill Bill. Like Kill Bill starts off Kill Bill Volume One. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I think his dabbling at, or his like um, like satisfying his like need to be creative combined with like his love for comic books will come after his 
the 10th movie. Because I think he said, like, he's going to do literature, like, yeah, some novels. Like books and stuff yeah, like it's not like he's going to stop being creative. He's just going to stop making movies. So then know? who else would be on this Mount Rushmore? That's the thing. I, I'm sure there are other people. I'm sure there are other people who are as famous as him who love comic books. I just don't know of any. Okay. Okay. You know, I think he's been so vocal about yeah. it. You know, that's that's what it is, too. You know, and so for me, he's like on the mount. It's like when you have someone who is like he's like the opposite of like Martin Scorsese. You know, where he's like not trashing the MCU movies, where he's saying, right. "No, I like them, and I'm an Academy Award nominated like writer, screenwriter, and director, and like these are good movies, and I love my like Thor too." That, my favorite thing that he's ever said is that he's like a huge fan of rom coms. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's just like Kate Hudson is like the goddess of like, like goddess and like three thousand miles high up because like he says like the only time he really watches rom coms is like on the airplane, but like he just loves it so much. And I was just like, that's a man who's not like ashamed of like anything he watches or does or likes, you know? Like he, like he's open minded enough. So yes, take that, Martin Scorsese, you and your <laughs> poo pooing. My favorite genre <laughs> movie. Um, okay. What's Last. Not Rushmore. Didn't you know have- what? I was going to say, I, I I did have two. The second one is like super boring, which is like writer director. But yeah. I think that's, that's super boring. I don't think we need to. Well, that. okay. But like, I'm trying to now that like I, now that you've said that like a hundred percent, except I can't think of, I just, I can't, who are other writer directors? Right. Like I, in John. And I mean, he wouldn't be on Mount Rushmore at this point, but like, I just, I, I'm like drawing a blank. Right, right. The, 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 the two that I thought of immediately were the Coen brothers and mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. I had to like go back and like research this. And I would say these people would be on the Mount Rushmore, but they're, it's a little before our time, which is um, Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick, and I had no idea, Orson Welles. Yeah, okay. You know, and so but I don't know enough about the history of like writer directors to be really opinionated. Right. On it. Um so yeah, so I that I would if someone was like if someone were like pff, like Quentin Tarantino like barely cracks the top 6, I'd be like, "Okay, I guess." Like I'm I'm not informed enough. I don't know right. enough about Coppola, Fine. Kubrick and and Wells. Yeah. Especially you know, to be like, well, I disagree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, last question. Ready? How many versions of him are there? Um, I went back and forth with this. I can't decide between one and two, and I need – I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I didn't really answer this, so why don't you give me the arguments for one right. and two, and I will tell you what I agree with. Okay. So uh, the argument for one is that he's, like, incredibly consistent throughout and we've talked about this how there are certain themes and certain styles that uh, there's a certain style that he has that is really his own and the only other person i can think of is i mean we were just like talking about him but martin scorsese which is that like there are certain cuts in scorsese films that you're like wow that is clearly like scorsese does that like he's the only one that does that and there's certain things in a Tarantino movie where you're just like, okay, this is like a Tarantino film, you know? So that's kind of like the argument for one, right? Which is that, and, and he hasn't, he's, and he even is like the same person. I alluded to this before where he also looks the same. He like looks like he has an age. Like, yeah, he looks a little older, but generally speaking, he's like Yeah, he's the like same. over 50, but he looks the same. You're right. Yeah. 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 So, and because he's held like a certain standard in his movies, I also want to say one. But if you really look at his movies, there seem to be specifically like three stages, right? Mm-hmm. The beginning is like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. The second part is like Kill Bill, the Kill Bills, and like Death Proof. And then starting with Inglorious Bastards, there's like this, I- I'm not going to say revisionist history, but there's like this historical, like he likes turning history into fiction yep you know and so part of me thinks like okay well could you do that could you do like original films like totally original films 
and like a second stage of like playing with history films you know but i don't i don't feel while i i certainly like i'm stating for a fact that that's just like a fact they're the first half of his films are like totally original where like it happened the only thing that's like realistic about it or the only thing that's like historical about it is like it happens on planet earth you know right it but sort of second... stands outside of anything that exactly. anyone could refer to exactly. yeah um yeah. and then the second half of his films where it's like playing with history but i don't think that's enough of a thing to be like that's another version of him I mean, now that you're pointing it out, I'm like, I can't unsee it. Um, so I'm into it because that's, those have been my favorite thus far. Um, I think the revisionist thing has been a little bit controversial for some purists, um, especially like a lot of the conversation came out around Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just because it was so... Um, it just really flips what happens in actual history, like upside down. Um, but I think that's sort of the fun of his like narrative storytelling where I, I mean, I think there's some things that like he just carries through all of his films, right? Bare feet for one, um, <laughs> like long unbroken takes, um, you know, a lot of his like protagonists are like morally suspect and they ha- all have like violent tendencies for some reason. Um, but it's this like zipping around of genres and like genre bending and like playing with like nonlinear time, like is what's so interesting to me. And it feels so much more apparent in some of his like, like lap, um latest films um that i i'm just like i'm really excited to see like what he's gonna tackle next um mm-hmm. but i think you're right if we're gonna be looking at if we're looking at his like filmography like it probably points towards him telling some sort of story that has like exists in a universe that we know um yeah i'm into i don't know i don't know steve like i feel like you have something there yeah i i, I can't tell I can't tell, but I uh, I think there is something there for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's kind of our deep dive on. That was Quentin fun. Terrence, you know that. Yeah. See, I I told you you'd have more to say than you thought you would. You yeah, thought I was very sure. stressed about it. Um. Why don't we uh go right into our um obsessions of the episode? Yeah. Right here. Um. Do you want to go first or do you yeah. want? Me? Okay, I'll go, go first. This is stupid. <laughs> So everybody and their moms during this pandemic has has been talking about Animal Crossing New Horizons. No um, way. I have always wanted to get a Switch, and I just never got around to getting it. And this pandemic has Blowing caused mind. Switches to sell out, and so I am not able to get a Switch. I oh. literally troll, like, Amazon and GameStop and Walmart <laughs> every single day, and... I like Google Nintendo Switch like every other day and they're saying that maybe things will be back in stock in June but you know because of just like the supply chain issue and just you know production issues like I do think that uh, it's going to be a little bit longer for me to get my hands on a Switch of some sort Um, so when when Animal Crossing New Horizon came out like for a good two weeks, like every that's all what everybody would like tweet about, talk about, and like it like kind of was so funny to me because I've been playing Animal Crossing Pocket Camp for like two years now, which is the mobile version of Animal Crossing, hmm. um, and I've always sort of felt a little bit ashamed about it because I don't think the game is necessarily for children, but I don't think I just didn't think that it was a thing that like a ton of people played and like when everybody started like freaking out about animal crossing and like talking about it and like i was just like wait so am i am i like can i be more forthcoming with this weird obsession that i have with animal crossing so there you go steve i actually like have no um 
dreams of ever being like an interior decorator or I just don't have an eye for any of that stuff so part of what I think makes Animal Crossing fun for people is just being able to like decorate their like cabin or house or like the world around them I just like doing the menial tasks so like I go fishing and like harvesting my fruits and stuff like that's the stuff that like kind of like makes me like happy and I one day we'll get my hands on a switch and one day maybe I too will get Animal Crossing New Horizon but for now like I just I love playing my little mobile game and it's just a very endless like mindless thing to to like spend time on so there we go that's my dirty secret wow wow really you I was I was like really not expecting that because you like you are uh very shocked for whatever reason and i don't i don't know why i i just i didn't i i like did not even know you had ever played a a video game you know what i mean yeah i mean yeah i'm into mobile games but yes okay um we'll talk about in stock alerts after we're done recording um sign me up for things because i really need one yeah yeah i got you i got you um yeah so mine is I've been mine's also like a, a little weird. I've been really into like social media giveaways. Um, so I need you to explain this to me because I only know social media giveaways in terms of like, do you want to win this bottle of face cream? Like, right, what are right. you into? <laughs> so I'm into like, um, like video games or like uh, computers or computer parts. Okay. And, um. The giveaways that I'm into is like, okay, so there's like the Instagram ones where it's like, okay, make sure you're following everyone this person's following. And then comment. Yeah. yeah, And like comment like three friends, tag three friends in like the comments or whatever. Yeah. But then I've like graduated to these giveaways where it's like you make an account and you need to link all your social medias. And like you have to give it permission to like – know all the information in like these what is happening steve yeah and it's like you get a thousand um entries for if you like this tweet if you get another thousand entries if you retweet this you get another thousand entries if you uh like this page on facebook you get another thousand entries if you follow this instagram you get another thousand if you um like this and it's just like i'm i like spend time on trying to win things on social media and it feels free because I'm not paying for it, but I know they're collecting so much data on me now. But you're you creating know? brand new accounts for these things. So it, I did not know this. I thought I was a genius because I was creating brand new accounts for these. But then in the terms and conditions, they say, if it's not your main account, you will be disqualified. And I was like, Oh my goodness. How do they know that? I don't know. I think I, somehow they know. I don't know how they know. I, they Wait, just know. so you've just been doing this on your main account? No, 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 no. What I do is, like, I have this I, – I have two primary accounts. One is, like, incredibly personal, and the other one is, like, not. Yeah. But I, I can't use, a, a, like, an actual throwaway account. Like, I, they call it giveaway accounts. I, can't, I had a giveaway account, and then I realized that I wasn't going to win by – entering with these giveaway accounts so i have to use like an account that i do actually use you know but luckily for me i have two of most things like i have two instagrams um two twitters i didn't have two facebooks you have two twitters um yeah okay but like not about that uh well well here's the thing like i just made the twitter like not too long ago but for these giveaways um no, not necessarily, but I was like, okay, I'll I'll just use this one for the giveaway. But it's not like for personal stuff. It's like the same stuff as like my second Instagram, essentially. Got it. Got you know it. what I mean? Yep. Um, and so I had to start using, it. and like I'm like really invested right now. <laughs> Have you won anything? No, not yet. And it's, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. Well, you well, let me know when you win something. I feel I, like you have to win something because at I, this point you've put too much time in. I put a lot of time, like a lot of time, Jen. Um, it's so funny, Steve. I don't know why this is so funny to me. Yeah, I just I I I want to win free stuff. I like okay. really want to win free stuff. Yeah. Um, and so sorry, yeah, who are you tagging stuff. in these? Oh, just myself. Like when like they my, say, like, my tag, other prime. like three friends, like 
Oh, it's almost always two, so it's just like I tag me and my wife. And sometimes you're the third. Have you noticed? Have you seen that like on Twitter? You know, <laughs> I, I should go look because like I asked because I was, I think that's what I was getting at. But now I'm just like, yeah, I think I've seen it. So, yes, you can tag me. Yeah. So it's, it's usually just like because the only people I really know on Twitter, I feel like most of our friends are on Instagram and Facebook, but like almost none of them, or if, if they might be on Twitter, but they're not really active on Twitter. Yeah, you know? I kind of wish I had more like activity on Twitter because I love Twitter, but like I just like no one ever looks at my tweets. Like my like I just I do, tweet I myself. I know you do, but that's it. Like I get no engagement on my tweets. I just don't know how to build a following, and not that I really want to, but it's just like funny to me because that's not the experience I have that I have with other like social media accounts. And I just don't understand why my Twitter is so dead and invisible to the world. Um, but this, we can talk about this at a different time. Um, okay. So that's, that's all we got for this week. Um, Jen, you have anything else before we, we wrap this up? No, I feel like we've covered a lot. Everybody should go watch a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff and, is on Netflix, I feel like, right now, right? Yes. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, is on Stars only right now. But Inglorious Bastards, for sure. And I think Pulp Fiction is on um, is on Netflix. So everybody should go watch it. Yeah. Um. So remember to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. And uh, until next time, Jen, you want to say bye? Bye, everyone. Stay safe.